Welcome, Willow Park Church, to our online service, and welcome to those of you who are going to be watching our South uh, gathering with Pastor Glenn preaching, and also at 33, and all of our venues, both in the gym, in the Lake Country, and all across our network with our different uh, opportunities to either worship, you know, in person, or online. And I know that many of you that are joining right now are joining online. So I want to give you a big welcome and I want to thank you for your ongoing support and the way that you have kept connected to us, the way that you've logged in and watched and the way that you have allowed us make another shift, which has been a challenge, which is the shift to actually having multiple live gatherings with groups of of 50 and below. If you haven't been out, they have been uh, wonderful. Uh, there's been real encouragement. It's been quite emotional, actually, to see people who you haven't seen for three, four, five months with the pandemic. And it's been nice just to be able to preach myself and for the other preachers, Pastor Glenn, to be able to preach to at least a, a live audience, which makes it more exciting for those of you that are joining us online for the worship. So before I hand over to Jesse and the band, let me pray and let me encourage you, stay connected, send us an email, message us. If you're watching this, do use the message board. And if you have needs for prayer, we would love to hear from you. So welcome to Willow Park Church. Father, I thank you that the beginning of this gathering, here on Sunday morning, we can give thanks to the Lord and we can praise your name. And Lord, I pray that as we spend this time, you will be with us, you will encourage us and you will speak to us powerfully, I ask, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Enjoy your worship time. Good morning, you guys. Um, it's so awesome to be able to do this together, to worship from wherever we're at together as one church. Um, and I just want to encourage you that wherever you're at, just, just take a moment um, just before God, before the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Yeah, that God, we love you and we're excited to worship you this morning. God, you are good and you are faithful. God, I pray that you'd be with us now as we worship. Let your kingdom come here. Let your will be done here in us. Jesus, there is no one greater than you alone, I say. Show the world your love. Sing, King of Heaven. King of heaven, come down. King of heaven, come down. Let your glory reign, shining like the day. King of heaven, come. King 
of heaven rise up Who can stand against us You are strong to say In your mighty name King of heaven come We are children of your mercy Rescue for your glory Standing on this mountain top, 
God, we declare that you reign above it all. God, over every single thing in this earth, God. God, nothing has power compared to you. God, we thank you for your sovereignty. And we love you. You guys, we're, we're about to take communion. So I want to encourage you to, um, whatever you have at home, just get it out. And uh, yeah, we're going to, just come before the Lord and uh, remember. So yeah, let's take communion together. Thanks, Jesse. And what a time of just thinking and concentrating on the very presence of Jesus and giving God our Father that kind of worship. It is, it's amazing. Just to be able to um, listen and to engage and to spend that time praying and preparing our hearts for the word that will follow. Pastor Glenn's going to be bringing a word at the south. And also, I'm going to be bringing uh, a word fr- there at Highway 33. But let's prepare our hearts. As we approach communion right now, let me remind you that Jesus said, I am the bread of life. That reminds me of all of the truth that comes from the psalm that we've been studying and the ideas we've been thinking about, is that that he provides all of our needs. I shall not want. When we look at the bread, we are reminded that the body of Christ was given to us so that all of our needs can be met. Jesus himself said, I am the bread of life. In other words, he was saying, true contentment, true peace and life comes through communing with me. But of course, the bread is not just that. It is a symbol of a body that was broken as it was nailed upon the cross. And that very act of being nailed upon the cross reminds me That Jesus took all of our burdens, all of our grief, all of our pain, all of the weight of sinfulness of mankind upon himself and gave his life for us. Let me remind you that this was a painful journey. His body was broken. He was whipped, scourged led through the street, carrying his own cross, collapsing because of the weight, getting help, but then finding himself at the place called Golgotha. There, brutal pieces of metal were driven into his hands and into his feet. He was then horribly lifted up, but he was lifted up so that whoever looked upon him may be forgiven, may be healed. Like the serpent in the story of of the Exodus that was lifted up and that whoever looked at this brass serpent, the poison would go away from the bites of the snake. In the same way, the poison of the work of the fall, the poison of sinfulness, the poison 
of sin and death, the power of Satan was broken when Jesus Christ was broken for us. So take the bread, eat and remember, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Eat it in the name of God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. Father, thank you for Jesus and that his body was broken for me. And thank you for this bread that reminds me of his brokenness and reminds me of the life that I now have. Thank you, Lord. Amen. In the same manner, he took a cup and having poured out the wine, he took the cup. He said, this is the blood of the new covenant that takes away the sins of the world. Father, I thank you that as we drink this, we are reminded that we were once condemned. We were once filthy. We were once broken and lost. We were once renegades at odds with God. Warring against you, Lord. But you took us. You forgave us. And you gave us forgiveness, salvation and hope. The blood of Jesus that takes away the sins of the world. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Well, that finishes our communion time. And thank you for staying with us. Right now, we're going to move to family news. And after that, if you're logged on to South, Pastor Glenn will be sharing. If you're logged on to Willow Park, Highway 33, I'll be sharing so the Lord bless you as you enjoy the word being preached. And take a good note of the Willow One News right now. Thank you. Hello, Willow Park Church. My name is Courtney. Whether you're joining us from church online or one of our dwell gatherings, welcome and here's your family news. Next week is Kickoff Sunday at Willow Park Church. Make sure to join us online or in person at one of our dwell gatherings to celebrate as a church family. We will be starting our brand new message series called Hidden, Our Life in Jesus. Also, our Lake Country location will be adding another in-person service at 11 a.m. We look forward to seeing everyone next Sunday. We have two new things happening for kids at Willow Park. First, we are now offering a preschool version of Kids Church Online. The preschool video will be available every Sunday at willowparkchurch.com slash kidschurch. We are also excited to announce we will be starting our in-person kids club on Tuesday nights starting October 6th. 
This program is for kids in grades K to grade 5. Learn more and register online at willowparkchurch.com clubs. We are once again raising funds for Child of Mine, which supports two children's homes in northern India. A group of runners and walkers will be doing a virtual event October 17th, and this year the funds raised will go towards post-secondary education for graduates of the homes. Learn more on the Child of Mine website at childofmine.ca slash events. A big thank you for all of you who volunteered or donated for our back-to-school giveaway last Sunday in Lake Country. We had over 150 people from the community attend, and we were able to give away over 1,200 items, including backpacks, lunch kits, hats, brand new clothing, gift cards, and a free lunch for all of the families. It was an awesome event. That's all for your family news. Thanks and enjoy your service. Okay. Well, welcome everybody to uh, Willow Park Church from the Mission South location. We're so grateful that you are joining us online, wherever you might be doing it, anywhere in the world. We have people from all over the place watching and at different times of the week. And it might be you're sat in a watch party. Um, it's, uh, it's just so, so good that you've taken the time to join us. And I'm excited to share Psalm 23 with you in just a second. We have a room full of people, as proven by a raucous cheer. That wasn't too bad. That was pretty good. It's to say we're not Pentecostals necessarily, just charismatic. Uh, that was good. I want to give a, a, a special kind of shout out to the Bennett because Pete got his last... Five-year, is that right? Five-year scan a couple of weeks ago with an all-clear. So I should have checked with you if it was okay for me to share. But uh, Pete was given the all-clear, so they booted him out and told him not to come back. Amen? It's the kind of instructions you want. And we're really grateful. It's been a journey, and you've carried it with grace. And uh, we love you and your family. But it's just, uh, yeah, it's humbling to uh, watch the way that you've walked through that. So uh, we're grateful. And he's here as well. It's awesome. Front row. What a keener. Okay. So uh, let's, uh, let's turn to Psalm 23. And this is our final uh, sixth part in Psalm. I've had so much encouraging feedback uh, from people as we've worked through this Psalm. I was chatting this morning with one family and was saying, you know, this Psalm is just one of those, those, those passages of Scripture that seem to be kept a lot for funerals or when somebody's just about to pass away. And yet, as you work through it, it really is such a beautiful essence of who God truly is. And so, uh, I've really enjoyed studying it. Next week, we start a new series called Hidden, uh, Our Life in Christ. And so, that's going to take us quite a few weeks to get through that. I'm looking forward to that as well. Uh, But this week, we're going to put a nice, hopefully a nice bow on Psalm 23 and leave us with some encouragement, some things to think about, uh, some things to discuss, and uh, that would be wonderful. So, um, if I was to ask you a question, I'm not expecting you to shout out, but feel free if you want to. What is God like? What is God like? Uh, it's kind of an interesting question, by the way, when somebody tells you they don't believe in God. 
Uh, well, I don't believe in God. Uh, all things nonsense. And I actually ask them. This is a great conversation starter. I ask them, well, can you tell me about the God that you don't believe in? And uh, honestly, the times that I've done this, and I've used this question a lot, every time they tell you about the God they don't believe in, and at the end of it, I can say, actually, I don't believe in that God either. Let me tell you about the God I actually believe in. And, it, and it's beautifully summed up in Psalm 23. Because people have this view of what God is like, and it is so wildly different from actually what our, as Christians, what our experience is, but also what the scriptures actually say. So our viewpoint of God, we have to go back to where we have gotten our belief from, which is the Bible and history and everything else. And then we look at that and we say, well, does it align with the reality of what we think God is like? But If I was to ask you to give me some words that describe God, what's he like, even asking what's he like is an interesting statement because it implies that he's got a personality and a character and there's things that he likes to do, things he doesn't like to do, things that he's interested in, things he's not interested in. It actually humanizes God in a way that actually might make some of you feel uncomfortable because we like to use deep theological terms like, well, God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's omniscient. He knows everything. And, and the more deeper words we give him, the further he seems to get away from the reality of our lives. But as you read the Bible, and if you're not in the habit of reading the Bible, I, I would suggest you start there, especially in the New Testament. Choose a gospel. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Look at, his, look at his personality. Look at his character. And I encouraged you a few weeks ago to work through Mark over a week, two chapters at a time, writing down the habits that Jesus had. Because what our culture does, and you might be in the room right now, you might do this, so listen up, is you have an assumption as to what God is like and make it reality and true. Whereas actually, uh, it couldn't be further removed from the reality of who God actually is. Uh, what's his personality like? What's his character like? What are his values? What are his morals? What are his viewpoints? And these questions are actually in a really interesting discussion around dinner. Uh, tell me what you think God is like. Psalm 23, in these six verses, we're going to read them together in just a second, gives this beautiful synopsis of, of the God of the Bible. Uh, you know, his character, his values, his motivation, his personality, his involvement, his love for us, his pursuit of us, his, his thoughts towards us, his promises for us. All this in six verses sums up God in his personality, character, and his habits. So before we jump to what well, God is this, actually let's look, at, let's look at really what the Bible actually says God is like, and then we can move from from there. So we're going to go through Uh, The first four verses, we're going to read them, and I've been encouraging the church to memorize them because they're just a profoundly powerful scripture to chew on and meditate on on a daily basis. And and, and so let's let's just look through the first four verses. I'm not going to pause and describe what I've spoken on in the last five weeks um, because it's all online. I encourage you to listen to it. I'll pause at one point, but um, just some really wonderful, deep, Uh, thoughts and teaching around the personality of God. The Lord, the I am, Yahweh, I am, is my shepherd. He's my companion. He's close. Even though he's divine, he's my companion. I shall not want. I won't lack anything in life. 
He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He's going to give me rest. Not just any kind of rest, but he restores my soul. He's going to give you soul rest. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. If you're wondering what your next step is, what's my path? What does God want me to do? What should I do? Should I go there? Should I do this? Should I marry this person? Instead of asking these questions, actually you'll find that as you focus on Jesus, that he will naturally show you the path on which you travel. I've had two testimonies since preaching on this, two very different situations, but I've had profound clarity as to next step. I'm talking big stuff, not what should we have for supper, but should I move there? Should I take this job? Kind of answers to prayer as they've as they've listened to this sermon, so I really encourage you to listen to this one on the righteousness. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And then Luke preached on verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So what you're going to have here is God's promise, his personality, his purpose for you, his, his, this, just this beautiful uh, expression of his love for those who call him our God and we're his children. And then we've talked about John 10.10 10 and the whole chapter, well not the whole chapter, a good section of John 10 talks about Jesus being the good shepherd, that he is our shepherd. And there's some lovely parallels between Psalm 23 and John 10 as you see that actually these promises are found in Jesus, and we're his flock. One thing I want to just point out to you, though, before we move on, is this really important statement right in the center, verse 3, for his name's sake. For his name's sake. This tells us something really important. It tells us that God, in all his promises of provision and rest and protection and guidance and all these promises, he's not obligated And what I mean by that is there's nothing you and I can do to twist God's arm to make him give us something that he doesn't want to give. It's his own good pleasure for his name's sake that he chooses to love us so much to give us these things. Why is that important? Well, first of all, it does away with every other religion on the planet. It literally carves every religion, and I would include atheism in that, because atheism essentially is a religion. You're worshiping something. Because all that says, you do this, you'll get that. You do this right, you'll receive that. That's what religion is. And then there's Christianity. Christianity says, doesn't matter what you do. God in his own choice decides through his son Jesus to give us these wonderful things for his name's sake. It's an interesting statement though. What it literally means is, is the shepherds in the ancient Israel, and even to this day, they are judged by the health of their flock. So if they've got a kind of a raggedy, rubbishy, smelly, well, they're all smelly, sheep, then, uh, then, and then they kind of look like they're about to die all the time, and they're just struggling, then the shepherd gets judged as being a poor shepherd. So here's what this means, Christian friends. When you go into the world and you go before your co-workers or your friends and family or whatever circles that you've been placed in, by God's plan, then you go for his name's sake. What you're doing is you're actually revealing the good shepherd to people. If people have to go a bit squinty and go, I actually, you just, you're not even standing out in any way at all, then it reflects badly on your so-called, forgive me for putting it this way, good shepherd. 
That on one hand, we can say, yes, we're Christian. Jesus is our good shepherd. We follow him. We want to do what he says, do what he does. And yet our life looks no different than for his name's sake doesn't kick in because he's not being glorified. He's not being shown to be an amazing, beautiful, powerful, ultimate God that he promises to be. If your life doesn't reflect the promises of Psalm 23, let me put it another way. If your life reflects the promises of Psalm 23, people are immediately going to go, What's the secret? Well, it's who I follow. And don't be deceived, young people especially. Do not be deceived. Our world is filled with shepherds. Filled with them. And they have loud, significant, beautiful, Instagram, Snapchat, influential voices. Look at me. Do what I do. Be what I be. Think what I think. Say what I say. Listen to what I listen to. Dress the way that I dress, act the way that I act, judge in the way that I judge, love what I love, and you too will get peace, protection, prosperity, rest, all the things that you find in Psalm 23. Except in John 10.10, it says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. You will get stuff stolen, not physically, maybe emotionally, and it will ultimately result in destruction. You, you scrape away at the average influencer... And those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, about influencers, it doesn't matter. Scrape away at the average influencer. You know as I do, they're a mile wide and a millimeter thick. They're struggling mentally, emotionally. There's all sorts of new emotional and mental illnesses attached to social media because of the expectations, the voices, the shepherds that are placing on our young people. Choose the good shepherd. Choose the good shepherd, the right voice, the clear voice, the loud voice, the voice that will chase you down, as we'll see in a minute. And you are Psalm 23 people, for his name's sake, for his glory. That people will go, I want what you've got. I want what you've got. It's a beautiful thing. So then what David does is he then goes into the final verse 5b, if you like, in verse 6 of Psalm 23. And he's really like, it's the final slam of the nail with a hammer. It's like, look, this, this just kind of sums up everything I've been saying in the first few verses. Now, ordinarily, what I do is I go through each section, and I'm not going to do that today. I'm going to paint a picture. I'm going to focus on one particular important aspect uh, that really reflects on the whole of the psalm. But we'll read it anyway. Psalm 23, verse 5 to 6. Following on what Luke said last week, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. That's just, that's just more giving, like, you're going to get refreshment. You're going to get a life that overflows with grace and love. You're going to thrive, in other words. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall, look at the positivity. Surely I shall dwell in the house. The presence of the Lord forever. That's what that's saying. You're going to be in the presence of God. Not just when you're in heaven, a new earth, new heaven. Now. Heaven on earth. Now. I mean, that sounds good to me. Sign me up. Do you know what I mean? That, that's the promise. So, to start us off, what Luke said last week about the table, the presence of God, and him, him invited us to the table, and he sets a table in the presence of our enemies. Here's the, here's the, here's the challenge with that, and I'm going to be really, really honest. God promises this is what the table is going to be filled with. It's going to be filled with good things. This is what it's like to follow Jesus. It's going to be good things. 
Things that you can't even imagine eternally, but good things on earth now. You're not going to be affected by what people say, what people do, circumstances. You're going to feel sure and at rest in the midst of all that. It's going to be good things. This table is a good banquet. And God invites us to come and sit at this table. And here's what we do. Christians and and people who are kind of thinking things through alike. And just think about whether this is you this morning. We kind of see the table and go, yep. Sounds good. God, table, goodness, mercy, grace, provision, rest, protection. Sounds wonderful. I'm just going to stay over here though. I, yeah, not, not quite ready for that. And, and, and we distance ourselves from it. You know, and there's different reasons. As Christians, you might say, I don't want to sit at the table. I don't want to be fully in because of what it might mean for me and my family or me and my business. I'm not sure what God's going to require of me. I'm not sure what he's going to expect me to do or not do, more importantly. I'm not sure what that life looks like. And let's be honest, there's some kind of weird people sat around the table. I don't know whether I want to be associated with them, just saying. Some, some of you are weird. Not me, obviously. Um, and I, church, all that, I'm, I'm just going to stay over here. Skeptics, people who are just thinking through Christianity, atheists, like, I am not interested to sit at the table. I'd rather go and find all that, I, Psalm 23 says, in my own world. I, I can find my own thing. I'm going to look for my own shepherd. I'm going to find it in myself because I am powerful. I'm strong. I, you know, I am what I am that I am. I can do this. I'm not going to sit there. That's for the weak-minded. It's for the uneducated, which is crazy because we've got more educated people in this. It's kind of intimidating, actually, preaching in front of most of you. No, no, all of you, sorry. Because you're also so bright and cerebral and degrees coming out of everything. I mean, they're just, and so, you know, it's for the weak-minded though. Well, really? Maybe, maybe that's not, maybe that's not true. But we distance ourselves. Why do we do that? Because if God has given us an, an invitation to join him at the Psalm 23 table, why aren't we tripping over, jumping over stuff to make that happen? Week in, week out. I preach about the importance of spending time with Jesus, the good shepherd. In his word, listening, preach, um, listening to podcasts, listening to preaching, getting involved in the church, prayer, intimacy, silence, solitude, fasting, generosity, all these things that are important that mean sitting at the table. I, I, I encourage you, I urge people each week, it's my job, it's my calling to do that. And yet there's a, hmm, maybe next week, maybe when things get a little quieter, it's really busy right now. Or I've got this going on or that going on. And I'm just not sure. Why do we do that? And I've really been reflecting on, on this a lot. Why do we resist? And I think it's rooted partly, but perhaps significantly, in our view of God. Because if we really understood who God is... His personality, his morals, his values, his character, his love for us. I think we'd be pushing people out of the way to get to the table. Forgive me for putting it that way. Just get me next to that God. Because if he is everything he says he is, why wouldn't we want to follow after him? So there has to be some disconnect as to what we think God is like. And that's what I just want to want to just stand on for a few minutes. I want to poke at this just for a few minutes. 
how you view God significantly dictates how you live life. What decisions you make, how you view God will determine how you parent, what kind of friend you are, what kind of relationships you get involved in, what kind of decisions you're going to make, how you budget, what you prioritize, what you are generous towards. How you view God will dictate even what you watch, what you listen to, what you read, what you absorb, how, what kind of employer you are, what kind of worker you are, what kind of student you are. How you view God dictates everything. What kind of sports person you are. Everything is determined about how you view God. And I want to show you how, and in, and in that, I'm hoping a little bit of pause will come. It will make me go, all right, how, how do I actually view God? Really? Is he just this distant, omnipotent, omniscient God? Or is he the God of Psalm 23? What's, what's he like? What's his personality like? What's his view of you like? So there's this cute story of uh, kindergarten class and the kindergarten teacher gave the, uh, all the little boys and girls this task of, of just some time of the day as a teacher. We always used to have these things. I never taught kindergarten because I wasn't that mad <laughs> or brave. Um, and time at the end of the day, just for you to do what you'd like to do. One of the classic things with kindergarten is to get them together and, and say, well, you just, just draw something that you really like or something you really enjoy, and they get the crayons out. And, and so this, this class were drawing and crayoning, and, and the, good, the kindergarten teacher was walking around as a good teacher does and he's chatting with each of the kids and she comes to this little girl and says so what what are you what are you drawing and she says i'm drawing god and the kindergarten teacher says oh really she says well we don't really know what good god looks like and the little girl looked at her and went well you will in a minute and i found this picture (laughs) i said you know i was going to say that i drew it but it's probably above my uh, ability and creativity god's house it's like a big, I don't even know what's going on here. looks like a hose. I don't know. And you have to be really careful, don't you, when you start going, is that a hose? And they get, little ones get really indignant. No, obviously not. It's a, I don't know, half a rainbow. Maybe she got bored. I don't know. This looks like a train. Anyway, moving on. Um, we, don't, we don't know what God looks like. We just don't. But what we've done is we've created our own God. You've heard this phrase, uh, this statement, God created a man in his image, and man being a gentleman returned the favor. And this has been attributed to Twain, Voltaire, or so. Take your choice, whichever one you want to remember. Um, The reality is, is that God has created us in his image. That's what we believe as Christians. And then what we do is we make God the way that we want him to be. Um, We think God responds to us how we often respond to ourselves. And it's quite common to hear preaching saying, you view God in the same way you view your dad. That's quite common, and I think there's some truth in that. But I actually think there's more truth in, listen, we view God in the way we view ourselves. I think there's a whole lot more truth. So when you read Psalm 23, you are only going to appropriate those uh, those promises if you have the correct view of God. You're only going to walk and follow after Jesus and go to the table and follow him if you have the correct view of God. So how do you view God? How do you view God? Because it literally affects every aspect of your life. 
So we've been married now 27 years, and I'm saying that very quickly because the first sermon this morning, I stopped at that point and figured out how many times, how many years <laughs> we've been working, much to Sarah's glare. Um, she actually prompted me. It's 27 years, uh, 1993. See, math. Um, 27 years. And I've learned that there's a question that you shouldn't really ask one another. It's not just a guy to his wife or uh, you know, a lady to her husband. There's generally a question that you need to be very careful how you, uh, what question you ask. One of them as a guy never, ever, ever, ever ask is, are you wearing that? Never. Never, ever ask that. It never, never ends well. The other one is, what's the matter? Because the what's the matter question, you have to be very careful on when you ask that question. Because if there's nothing the matter, suddenly there is. Because you've asked, what's the matter? And, uh, and what I've noticed as I was dwelling on this is often what I do is I project my inner unrest onto Sarah. And expect that she has the same problem as well. So if, in other words, if I'm feeling angry, I'm noticing that Sarah's angry. If I'm frustrated, I'm noticing that she's frustrated with me. I don't know what posh psychological term, I'm sure there is one, Tracy, but this kind of projection onto the other person, that we think the other person is thinking the same thing that we're thinking to them, that they're thinking back to us. And, and, and we project ourselves into relationships all the time. And you've experienced that. You're in a bit of a, maybe feeling anxious or angst or angry or frustrated or whatever. And then suddenly your wife or your husband or a close one is feeling that way too. We're projecting ourselves. I think we do exactly the same with God. I think we project ourselves onto God. I think we think that God thinks like we think. And God acts and responds like you and I act and respond. Tozer, who was Canadian, we project ourselves onto God. And then, I've, and then his quote is, what you think about God is the most important thing about you. It affects everything. It affects everything. If you're angry, God is angry. If you are frustrated at people or at God, God is frustrated at you. If you are hard to please, God is hard to please. If you are critical of everything and anything that moves and breathes or says or whatever, I even being critical right now of what I'm saying, do you serve a critical God? Maybe. If you're capricious, we serve a capricious God. If, he's, if I'm judgmental about people, whether it's by, through race or sexuality or, or, or sex or whatever it might be, if I'm critical of people, and I'm judgmental, then I serve a judgmental God. If I'm impatient, he's impatient. If I'm constantly rolling my eyes at people, he's constantly rolling his eyes at me. Do you see where this is going? And as I'm looking at it, I'm thinking this is absolutely true. If I'm waiting for people around me to screw up and I'll never let them just get on with stuff because I have to be controlling and involved and manipulative all the time, I serve that kind of God as well. And so we project our inner angst and struggle onto him. And then the crazy thing is, is we find scripture to back us up. You only need to read Judges to find anything you possibly want in order to find an angry, judgmental God. And yet, that is not the emphasis of the Bible. In fact, it's the absolute opposite is the emphasis of the Bible. And then what we do is when we mess up, or just by 
just by drift, we distance ourselves from God. And then, ironies of ironies, we think he's distanced himself from us. And then we're in this impasse. Well, I don't want to go because he's not. And you kind of get into this kind of weird emotional mood with God. Thinking that if I'm like this, then God must be like this. Like, it's like we're in grade three. He's bigger, more powerful, more loving, and more kind than that. And we project ourselves onto God. So if you go, I don't believe in God, ask yourself why. Well, because look at this and look at that and blah, 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 blah. And let me tell you, after we project ourselves onto God, what we do is then we justify our behavior because of it. So if we believe that God is judgmental, doesn't love everybody, is critical, rolling his eyes at everybody, and his weight's leaning forward in his big throne rain to smack somebody over the head all the time, then we are justified to be that way to other people. So suddenly you're justified to be racist. You're justified to be sexist. You're justified to hate people who are in same-sex relationships because you think God does. And we project our behavior. So the hyper-right, conservative uh, Christian that... You know, that we kind of go, oh gosh. They are justifying their acts because they believe God is that way. And can I tell you, it works the opposite way. If all you see is a loving, kind, come what may, you don't judge one another, you just do what you do, everything's fine kind of God, then that's how you live. You don't think moral is high up on God's list of things to do? Then that's how you live. So it works both ways. So we view God in a certain way the way we view ourselves, and then we act out on that. Why is all this important? Why have I kind of camped out on this point? How you view God dictates how you live your life. Because if you live live a life where God loves you, cares for you, is sovereign, protects you, gives you rest, gives you everything you need, then suddenly your grip of life starts to loosen. And suddenly it's not all down to you whether or not your kids are succeeding or not, but to him. Because your view of God is so powerful, it dictates how you parent. Your view of God is so aligned with the scripture, that it dictates what kind of boss you are. If you're constantly controlling, getting involved and angry at people and frustrated all the time, why? Is it because you actually don't realize that that's not your business anyway, it's God's. So let go. So it does affect if you're, on a, if you're playing a sport, it affects that as well. If you're getting angry and frustrated because you've got teammates, and, then where is that coming from? Is it because you feel that you're projecting that onto God as well? You actually see God is like, actually, this isn't the most important thing in the world. I am, God says. Not rugby, sorry, for the South Africans in the room. I'm with you. That isn't the center of everything in your whole world. If you're angry because you've got 98% in a grade, is that the most important thing in the world? Because if you had the correct view of God, you would understand that he is the most important thing in the world, and you put that in alignment with him. Not to say you shouldn't work hard, but you see where I'm getting. It's all rooted in how you view God. But we get so many messages. So many messages. A few weeks ago, uh, Phil and I went for a walk, and uh, you always have to be careful drinking out of these, don't you? Because you never know how much, and you end up dribbling down the front, and I thought, that's going to happen right in front of, and my son is praying that that would happen. 
Um, we went for a walk a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Phil and I, and uh, as we, we often do, because we get a lot of business done, um, like lead pastor and then executive pastor, like together we just kind of, we get through stuff, it's good. And so we went for a walk at the top of um, Shoot Lake, like the, the, you know, all the kind of the fields behind Crawford. So instead of turning right towards Kettle Valley, you can turn left and walk. And ta- those of you who have ever been on that, it's that, that place where there's the the upturned car that's all rusted out probably from some grad class a few years ago. Do you know where I'm talking about? Okay, that's one. All right. Anybody been on that walk? Help me out. I see that hand. Okay, praise the Lord. Right. So Phil and I were level pretty much with this car. And it's maybe 150 yards, maybe 100 yards away from houses. And uh, actually not far from where the Nordings live. So around there. And so we were walking, and off in the distance, maybe 100 yards away, I saw a bear. And I went, oh, it's a bear. And I haven't seen too many bears. Uh, Phil's seen quite a lot. He, always, he seems to attract wild animals. <laughs> He's not a good person to, to actually go walking with. He says, oh, yeah, it's, it's, a, lo- it's a long way. We stopped, and we thought, right, let's just see what this, what this, what this guy's going to do. And so he was walking towards us. Not a good sign. So then I'm like, what should we do? Because I'm remembering all the mixed messages I've got about what you should do with bears. So here's the thing. In Britain, we have this joke that if you lift the bonnet of a car up, the hood of the car, then British guys especially all gather around and go, yeah. None of them are experts, but we all think we are. And we'll go, yeah, yeah, probably need to sort the topocator out. It's maybe the lower doofa. You probably, probably should do something like that. They all become experts. Can I gently and lovingly say that people in Canada become that way when it comes to bears? Because we put some pictures of this bear up on, and we got so much, oh, yes, well, it's a, it's a black bear, but it's brown. Okay, that's, first of all, that's confusing. That also can be like blonde, apparently. That could be a polar bear at Crawford. We might have a polar bear up there. Let's spread a rumor. Um, and so, anyway, mi- mixed messages. And this bear's coming towards us. And, uh, and then he stops, and he's maybe where I am away from Drew now. So that's pretty close. Bearing in mind, these things can almost run up to almost 50 kilometers an hour. I Googled that. It has to be true. Like, I'm thinking, that, that thing can... And so we started backing off, actually. I've got to tell a lie. I was stood still. I turned around. <laughs> Phil had run off. <laughs> like, you find out who your friends are. Thanks, Phil. So I'm kind of running after him, thinking, shouldn't we not be running? I don't know. I'm so confused. Anyway, this, this bear is following us now. We stop, it stops. We move, it moves. It is following us. And Phil's like, I am, I have not known a bear do this before, and I've got no bear spray. I haven't got a bell to throw at it. I've got nothing. <laughs> nothing. And uh, it's, I mean, one of the advice says, try and find something to throw. I mean, there was nothing around other than Phil. <laughs> Good idea. But the mixed messages, when it, oh, we got out safely, by the way, because obviously I'm here. Uh, there is more to the story, which I won't bore you with. It involved a biker and another bear turned up. So there's two bears around there, and I'll tell you the rest of the story another time. But, but here's the thing. We went for a walk, Sarah and I, um, and I, and I Googled. It's really confusing. Mixed messages. Brown bears are also what? Could be black bears, but also... Grizzly bears. Didn't know that. From a distance, it's brown. That thing could be a grizzly. I'm not taking its DNA. Who knows? That could be a grizzly. And if it's a grizzly, 
Should you stand still? No, you play dead while fighting and standing still and running. I mean, it's confusing. Look at this. During a surprise encounter, is there any other kind? Slowly back away. Stand your ground. Well, am I standing your ground? Am I backing away? Use bear spray if a bear attacks during a surprise encounter, as opposed to a bear attacking in a kind of prearranged <laughs> encounter. Play dead. So now I'm slowly backing away while standing on my ground and playing dead. If a bear persistently stalks you, then attacks, fight back. Like, so now I'm backing away while standing ground while using bear spray, playing dead, throwing my bear bell, and fighting back. It's very confusing for a British guy. In other words, let's just say don't ever walk back there, ever. Just stay on, on the roads. Mixed messages that actually have, listen, as joking as I mean, the mixed messages you might be listening to when it comes to who God is literally will result in life or death. And there ain't any last-minute bear spray. Life and death. It's not something you can ignore. You can't ignore the table and say, I'll get there eventually, because I've, I've led enough funerals to know that you don't know when. It's life and death. And it might be that you're hearing the call of God from a long way away. And we're going to see in a minute that actually beautifully pursues you. And you continue to ignore that. It's going to result in something that actually is going to have a profound effect on your life. So ignoring that situation where God is actually, you listen to all these different messages and you've listened to a three-minute YouTube video from somebody in their pajamas and you think you've got everything sorted about God while ignoring what the Bible actually says about God is the height of ignorance. It's like me walking around the back without any bear spray. So you have to come to a point where you make a decision and be really careful that you don't project what you think God should think onto your life because that is no God at all. It's not a God who agrees with you all the time. Because our culture says, you can only love me if you agree with me. Can I tell you, God does not think that way. He loves you and he disagrees with you. Just like a good parent and a kid. And so you thinking God's going to be all fine about your sin and all your life and all the things that you're making a decision about because God's a loving, kind, gracious, merciful God. You've only got half the story. Because not only is God loving, gracious, kind, merciful, forgiving, and everything that the Bible says, the Bible also talks about how he cannot be in the the presence of sin. So you have to come to a point where you make a decision as to whether you're walking away from the table or you're going to sit at the table. Because the God that I serve doesn't give us a mixed message. And your so-called voices and shepherds and real experts in your life are not leading you to God. They're leading you away from God. They're not leading you to rest, peace, provision, protection, soul rest. They're not leading you to it no matter how beautiful and amazing they look on Instagram. Whatever their moves are on TikTok, it is shallow. And it will not lead you to rest or restoration. It will lead you away from rest and restoration constantly. So please, lovingly, as a pastor, I'm telling you, don't kid yourself that you think you've got all God sorted. Thank you very much. Because you don't. It's like getting the whole of the ocean in a thimble trying to explain God's personality and character. But beautifully and graciously, he's given us some guidance. So you want to know what God is like? Let me show you. By his own words, to Moses, the Lord. This is God speaking in Exodus 34. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful. We We didn't change the spelling. Merciful, it's the Hebrew. 
It's not. No emails, please. I'm not saying that's Hebrew. The merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands. Okay, so people stop there. Gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in, thank you, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. We like that. We want that. That's true. You stop there, suddenly God becomes this cuddly uncle God. But he carries on. Forgiving iniquity, which in itself is merciful, kind, and loving, given the kind of iniquity that you and I get involved in. And transgression and sin, who will by no means clear the guilty. Do you know what that means? It's not kind of a blanket forgiveness for everybody just because you're a good person. You gave 10 bucks to, you know, Canadian Red Cross once. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children. That's sobering as a parent to the third and fourth generation. You have this, this whole passage is a passage of love because the reason he can forgive is because he was willing to allow his son to take the punishment that you and I deserve. That's the God I know. So loving, kind, merciful, and gracious that he sent his son to die on the cross that you and I don't actually have the punishment that you and I truly deserve because of our iniquity and our transgression. So when David says, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever, starting now. God's presence, goodness, mercy, overflowing, life thriving. What he's saying is, is this is a reflection of the God I know to be true. So when God describes himself, he describes himself with character and personality and values and morals and responses that all say, I love you so much. I'm not this distant judge who's waiting to hit you when you do something wrong with a constant cosmic eye roll. Oh, there they go again. And we distance ourselves away from that God because why wouldn't we? Because I don't want to be close to a God like that. And God, all the time, like the prodigal father, prodigal son's father is saying, I'm, I'm, I'm watching you. I'm, I'm, I, I want you back. I love you. I'm your dad. He's not a distant judge. He's engaged and loving father. And that's why it affects everything. Because if you live your life with that viewpoint on yourself, that you are favored and loved and cared for, so much so that he was actually willing to give his son to die for you, If you live with that lens, then suddenly parenting and everything that you own, you get open-handed because he is the most beautiful thing that you could ever experience or know. It affects everything. So we have to change the way we think about God. We have to change the way that we consider who God is. We can't just land on, well, I think God is this way because I think this about myself. We have to adjust and align our thinking. And there's only one way we do that. And that's by actually getting into his presence and listening to him and reading 
who he is and what he's like and, and what he enjoys doing. So all you need to do is Psalm 23, very first verse. He's this companion shepherd who loves us, lays down his life for his sheep, John 10 says, cares deeply about you and yours. So no matter how unloved you feel, let me assure you, there is a divine ultimate, all-powerful God who knows you intimately. Every thought, every value, every struggle, every inferiority, insecurity, every time you try and post something or do something or show yourself to be something that you know you're not, God knows that, knows your sin, knows your iniquity, knows your transgressions, knows your your screw-ups and everything else, and still loves you more deeply than we could ever imagine or think. So much so he sent his son to die on the cross so you don't have to experience the punishment that Jesus took for you and you get to be at the table as a result. That's a good deal. Look at this as I finish. These two words. Follow me. It, I, I really like the way Eugene Peterson puts it in the message. Your beauty and love chases after me every day of my life. That is an active God, not a distant God. And he says, surely, this is not contingent on anything you do or not do or say or don't do. It's that he loves you because he loves you. So what that does is, like I said, is it takes all the other religions in the world and places Christianity by itself and says, look, we serve a loving God and he loves you because he loves you. You, It's not because of what you do. The Puritans struggled with this question. How how is it that God loves me? Why does God love me? And their answer was, he loves me because he loves me because he loves me. Full stop. We don't know. But he does. And no matter what you do in life, he's going to pursue you. And maybe that pursuit started a long time ago and you have been chasing away from the table. It's just this constant. He pursues you. He loves you. One of the most beautiful images that comes out of Psalm 23 is this idea that if a sheep strays, and they do, the good shepherd doesn't love that sheep any less than the lot that have stuck around. And parents and grandparents and people who have got relatives and friends and family that seem to have strayed a long way from the flock, can I assure you, That God loves them just as much, cares for them, has their life in his hand, pursuing them in ways that you don't even know. In here, in here. But our responsibility is to hold them gently before the Lord, to pray, encourage, not control and everything else. And trust me, I've been there, I've tried that, it doesn't work. Trust me. That's our responsibility. He loves us because he loves us because he loves us, because he loves us. The more we see and experience who God is, the more beautiful he becomes, and everything else pales in significance. There's this important reality as Christians that the more time you spend with the Lord, the more beautiful he becomes. The more beautiful he becomes, the less important everything else becomes. And there's a security that emerges which is why it was so beautiful this morning, Luke. I didn't realize what Luke's songs were going to be, but we actually sang this, and I already had this down to say. It was already in the computer, so it's kind of cool. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. 
and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. Christian friends, the more time you spend gazing upon the face of Jesus in your own personal time through silence and solitude and prayer and reading and studying, he will become more and more ultimate to you and everything else will pale in significance. Everything else will pale in significance. And the more you experience God, the more beautiful he becomes and actually your alignment, your thoughts about yourself will change as they change about God. In Proverbs 15, sorry, in this word here, oh, let me get the right for something. The beauty, uh, I got the wrong, I'm going to keep going. There we go. All right. This word here, you anoint my head with oil. That word anoint literally means refresh. And in Proverbs 15, it says this, the light of the eyes rejoices the heart and good news refreshes the bones. So this morning, you might be going, Okay, what do I do about this? How do I appropriate the promises of Psalm 23? I want to sit at the table. You see, Jesus is telling us, and through all through the Bible, that there's this opportunity to have your bones refreshed. Sounds kind of good. What it means is that the good news refreshes and changes you on the inside, not just on the outside. So through the gospel, you can actually experience a total life change. You get an invite to the table and and God is saying, I love you. Cast your cares upon me. All who are weary and heavy laden, come to me. Because of Jesus dying on the cross, the scriptures say that we place our faith in that. We believe that he is Lord. We confess with our mouth and we are saved. Our bones are refreshed. The old has gone, the new has come. And that's a promise that every one of us can enjoy this morning. So as I'm going to pray, I'm going to pray for people who are listening online. And then, Luke, can you come and lead us in that little song? I want you to just ask yourself a question. Maybe it's a question that you, you think about this week. How do you think about God? Is it in alignment with what the Bible says? And so you could take Exodus 34 and you could take Psalm 23 and you could write out all the promises and the characteristics and personalities of who God is. And then say, do I actually believe this about God? And that might be a point where you actually pray through that. You spend time with Him. Think it through, pray it through. Maybe ask forgiveness as a result. That's my prayer for you this week. I want to pray for you now that you'd walk in this new revelation of of who God is for each one of us. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we sit and we stand before you in your presence, knowing that you are here. Grateful, Lord, that that Lord, the promises that you give us in your word are true and real and amen today. You are unchanging. You're the Alpha and the Omega. But Lord, we confess this is really difficult for us to wrap our heads around as to what you think about us and who you are and what your personality and character is. And so Lord, I would humbly ask in the name of Jesus, even as we sing in a second in this room and and as I pray, that Lord, you give us a revelation of who you are and your thoughts towards us. 
Lord, I thank you. Your word says in Romans 5, 5, that you've poured your love into our hearts. So, Father, I pray in Jesus' name that our, our lives would reflect who you are. Not who we want you to be or who we think you should be, but who you are. That merciful, grace-filled, loving God. So, Father, I'd ask now for those in my hearing and, and on video or watching on YouTube or Facebook, wherever it might be, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you just draw them to yourself. Those who don't know you, Lord, I pray these words would resonate. Lord, I pray it would keep them awake at night. Lord, I pray that they would come to a place where they would ask for your forgiveness and confess that you are Lord, and they would experience and know the invite and it be reality. Thank you, Jesus, for your cross. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. We love you, Lord. Amen. God bless you if you're watching online. and Please sign up for next week. Um, sign up started about 11 minutes ago. So um, please sign up and you can come and join us in the room with everybody else. It would be lovely to see you. But in the meantime, pray have a, a wonderful week. God bless.